You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Allison and Brandon, and this week we are talking about ferments, past and present, uh, those that have been lost and those that we let go of. Also, we are talking about a little bit of uh, jeans and beer, as well as a few follow-ups, this and more, in episode 67 of Firm Up. So I was thinking, given that it is Memorial Day weekend, um, that we could talk about, and let me know if you think this is an inappropriate um, way of phrasing it, but the idea came Memorial Day and the essence of Memorial Day, like the the idea behind it being, you know, remembering those that have uh, been lost in service of, of this country. And it also started making me think about, you know, microbes and how many microbes are lost in the, the, these, these little troops that I've got, you know, they've, they, I lose quite a few over time or just, they are lost just in the process of fermenting things. So, I mean, it kind of got me connected with all this kind of stuff and thinking about like, Hmm, there's a lot of times I've made mistakes and I've lost starter cultures or ferments or different things like that. And that's not to like belittle the, the holiday or make anything less of uh, Memorial day and the, the truth behind that. But that's just what I was thinking about. Does that, does that seem reasonable? Like talk about those like microbes that have been lost m- mem- remembering them. Yeah. I think it's a, good idea to talk about them Um, because everyone kind of goes through that during fermentation. Yeah, it's kind of a, I wouldn't say a stretch to, and hopefully it doesn't offend anyone. It doesn't really offend me with someone who we've, my husband's in the military and we've lost a a handful of friends um, through the past few years. So it's not offensive, but yeah, I, I think it'll work. So we should just talk about that. I figured it might be a way since, you know, it's since Memorial Day will be passed by uh, we're recording this on Memorial Day and it will be Tuesday by the time this goes out. But, you know, I figure it's a way that we can just sort of hint at what Memorial Day is without talking about something that's way off topic. Um, and especially since, you know, Memorial Day, a lot of times is, is food and different things to people and people forget like the the reality of it unless they're someone like yourself that's more entrenched in that world. So that's, uh, I think that it's a way that we can touch on it. So, but before we get into that, um, we had a little bit of follow-up, uh, and it's, uh, one thing was in regard to, uh, the farm curious fermenting set, uh, Nicole Easterday that was on a couple episodes ago already was, uh, had surpassed their Kickstarter goal when we talked to her, but now they're at 30 over 32,000 dollars um and that's more than double their original goal so way to go nicole and with that and i think she had even talked on the show about like having you know like a personal goal of wanting to make it um you know uh, somewhere around there and she made it which is great yeah. and she still has 20 days i think that's amazing and i can't believe that i mean she hit her goal what in in less than a week or in a let's say about a week and the fact that we just talked to her Two, two weeks ago and she's doubled her goal, goal. That's amazing. She has a great outreach and, um, and, and not only the product that she's selling, but the idea and the philosophy that she's teaching. So, um, good. I mean, congratulations to her and, um, all the hard work that she's put into it. Yeah. It's great. Bubbling with excitement. I mean, she's definitely spreading this stuff, so it's, it's great. Um, and then another Kickstarter that we said we would follow up with when it came out, uh, a few episodes ago, we also spoke with uh, Nasala, uh, Vanessa and Allah of, of Nasala Kombucha, and they are 
doing a Kickstarter as well for their new bottling machine. Um, and so I'll put a link at that up for that into the show notes as well. Um, and, uh, it's, it's that bottling machine that will make it so they're not doing quite as much by hand. Uh, and they're also kind of sharing it as in they'll be able to, uh, it's, it's less about just being, I mean, well, it's about being efficient and part of that efficiency will be that they can, uh, pay their employees more to work less, which I think sound, would sound good to me if I worked for them. Yeah. Um, and well, did you watch the video that went with the Kickstarter? Yes. Everyone needs to watch it, whether you plan on backing or not, you, everyone should go watch it. It is. It truly shows um, their personality. And it's just a really funny video. Uh, they have a lot of different characters. I don't know if these are characters they made up for this video or if these are reoccurring characters. Cause I remember them um, talking about how they had some sort of video podcast talk show thing that they did a while ago. Oh, Butch and, and bitch. Yeah. And so I don't know if these characters have been, have are a part of that role or if they just completely made them up, but they, I mean, it's, pretty entertaining to watch i was completely engrossed in it for the whole five minutes or however long the video is yes and uh the spoiler alert i guess in comment of it's like everyone should back this project just so that those poor children can get back into school that's true <laughs> and i laughed so hard and at the same time i i thought like is that true that can't be true <laughs> well i, I mean i, I don't know what it's here. like <laughs> in um in California, I don't know, like uh, child labor laws, but uh, I know that in a lot of places in the Midwest, at least I know growing up in Iowa, that if someone owns a business, they can do whatever they want with their kid. Like they're not required to not saying that uh, that Nasala Kampucha is actually doing that. They're kind of playing off that. But, you know, it's a uh, I mean, it's kind of the reality. I mean, your, your kid, you're kind of free. I'm sure there's res- uh, some kind of level of where that be too extreme. But yeah, you know, you're not required to do that, like the short few hours. <laughs> I think it's a joke that they're playing off of. Uh, but when I was watching, I thought, huh, I, I don't I mean, that was really I it just took me by surprise. And then it took me a moment to realize, like, this is just a joke. They got you. Um, so they got me. <laughs> Um, um, so, so yeah, I think everyone should, should definitely go, uh, watch that and, uh, and support them if you're interested too, because the, it, it's hilarious video, good kombucha. If you haven't had it, that'd be the other way to get it. If you listen to the Nasala episode and we're like, well, I don't live in the region. I don't live in the Midwest. I don't, I'm not going to be able to get any of this Nasala kombucha. Well, there would, that would be a one way to get it is because they're shipping it out for backers at different price points. So keep it in mind. We had some other follow-up too, right? Um, we did, but um, to be honest, I don't think that I – or I didn't do any follow-up. I was supposed to follow up on um, the South Korea wedding um, kimchi debacle that we talked about last week. Um, but I, I, I'm sorry. I found I had other things I needed to do. So I will follow up on that um, next week. The suspense continues. I know. And I looked on Netflix for that kimchi battle thing that you were talking about. I could not find it. Is it not there anymore? Well, I will look through. I will uh, find a link and I'll put it in the show notes if I can. Because I think last time I put the uh, show notes just to like the Wikipedia page for it. But I'll see if it's still available. I hope it's still available on Netflix because that'd probably be the main way that most people would find it. Um, and that's the only way that I'm going to be able to actually finish watching it. And I didn't stop watching it because I wasn't interested. It's just, it was like a year ago or something that I saw it and it was, I just didn't have time, but I just was like drawn in because I was like, Hmm, this is an interesting title. Um, because the only reason why I saw it was because I was looking for some, 
kind of show for my child or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was still interesting. And, and my child at the time liked it too. So it wasn't a year ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but it was, it's, it's so distant in my memory that I, I'm just so excited to watch again. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to watch it. Uh, but when I searched for it in Netflix and then even went to the specialty page, um, for, uh, Korean, um, shows, I couldn't find anything. But now every time um, I turn on Netflix, at the very top, you know how it gives you suggestions of th- shows you might like. Um, they're all Korean TV shows. Hey. So, so maybe it'll pop up in the next few days because, it, you know, it changes every once in a while of other shows that that you that Netflix thinks you might like. So if I find it too, I will give everyone a, head, a heads up. But I haven't seen it or I haven't seen it in my queue lately or at all. So we'll see. Well, you know what? But- I don't know if, yeah, if it shows up, it's there, right? I mean, if it, if I can see it on the Netflix, I'm not signed into Netflix right now, but if I can see it on Netflix, it's it's there, right? Right. And I mean, I even searched for it. So maybe, and I didn't find it, it nothing popped up. So maybe La they Grand took it off Chef Netflix. 2, search for that. So I, I just put a link to it, uh, or to, I just sent a link to you. I'll put a link in the show notes too. Um, and uh, check that out. See if that's what... Sh- the one because I actually just found it doing a quick search online for the Netflix link. And, uh, it happened to be that, uh, Austin had already reviewed it on uh, fermenters club. So I'll put a link for that too. Okay. In the show notes. Um, and he had a link in there for the Netflix. So that was in, Oh, that, well, that was a, a, about a little over a year ago. So maybe it's not available anymore, but there's still the link. So hopefully it's there. If a person okay. signs in, let us know. I will search for it tonight um, because we don't, we don't get the DVDs anymore. We don't have a DVD player. Um, so if it's only streaming online, I'll be able to watch it. But yeah. if not, yeah, that's then, yeah, that's what it was before. So. so I will I will report back on that and I will follow up on the um, the kimchi wedding mother in law judgment. Sweet. that I talked about next or last week. So, um, yeah, and then I think that's the only follow up that we had um, that I can think of or remember. Well, I, I guess we could also hint now at something that we want to follow up. Something that came up in the news. It's uh, uh, I didn't have enough time myself to really look at it, but something that came up today that you sent me regarding uh, your old friends at White Lab. Yeah. So if you, it just came out today. Um, it's in the New York Times, and the title's called Strange Brews the genes of craft beer. It's a really interesting article um, with some old coworkers of mine who are um, going to be doing some genetic testing um, with a few different labs, um, with specifically White Labs and the Belgian Genetics Laboratory for mapping um, craft beer and um, creating a genetic family tree of brewing yeast and the beers that they make with all of the different strains and stuff and kind of trying to figure out what's going on with um, how is Sierra Nevada's yeast any different than Sam Adams? Is there a difference? How different genetically are they from each other? Um, and they also threw in some other stuff too, some other yeast strains um, that are used for wine and um, baker's yeast and um, for biofuels. So uh, I think it'll be really interesting down the road to see how different all of these are and if there is a difference. Um, I don't know of a lot of research that has been done with this type of um, DNA genetics. But when I was there um, 
last year, right before I left, um, I did have my hands on it a little bit. Um, at the time, I didn't know what it was. It was kind of a top secret thing, um, and they didn't even really tell me. Uh, but they had partnered up with another genetic com- genetic genetic company in San Diego called Illumina. What and Illumina specializes in um, DNA sequencing and finding very cheap ways of sequencing DNA. I think Illumina long term um, wants to do more for uh, um, um, I'm, I'm the for medicine and um, the human genome genome and that sort of thing. But I think to kind of scale it down because the human genome is so complex and um, takes so long to uh, determine versus the yeast genome, which is pretty small. Um, so there's a lot of different things going on in this project, and they briefly mention it in this news article. So um, I may have spilled the beans too much to talk about it next week, but I know that we'll put it in the show notes, and then we're going to talk about it a lot more in detail next week. Yeah, I think that anyone that's interested in brewing beer – uh, drinking beer or just fermentation in general. This is all very fascinating and uh, definitely worth listening to next week, uh, especially with your almost sort of at least kind of insider um, perspective on this and uh, at least at least perspective on, I mean, you were dealing with this kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to really dive into this next week. And uh, I wish we could do it right now. But again, I had no time to really look into this except for read half the article so far. And it's it looks exciting and everyone should get out and read it too. So. Yeah, I think it's um I think that we should wait until next week just to give people a chance to read the article and if anybody has any sort of questions, comments, um anything like that, uh please feel free to like email us or to post a review or uh, something like that. Um just so then we can we can really dive into it because this is kind of like it's it's a blend, a marry between um, you know all kinds of different studies of science. So um, I think it's I think it's really interesting and really exciting because none of this has really been done to this extent and to this uh, complexity. So um, as a microbiologist slash fermentation scientist, I think it's a really cool thing um, and it has a lot of uh, um, great. Um, Oh, it, the word again is also blinking my mind, but I think it's a really cool idea. It's great. That's <laughs> to just dumb it down. Need. I mean, I can't even, I, my brain. Um, Your mind's just blown by this whole it's, concept. So it's completely blown away. <laughs> well, hey, tune in next week for that. And then I guess moving right into our little topic for today of have you ever lost a starter culture? I have, sadly. Have you Very... lost multiple times or just, just once? Um, I, let's see, I've lost, um, like my sourdough culture that I have that's, you know, still, still have it since last July. Um, up until then I had lost it maybe like two or three times. Um, couldn't get it going. Was it the same starter? Oh, you, okay. So we have a new one now. Completely started over, but I did it like two or three times. And every time I would start a new or make a new sourdough starter, um, something just wouldn't, it just wouldn't go or something wasn't right. And I would have to end up dumping it um, or um, just getting rid of it, sadly. So you killed Tiny. Is that what you're saying? No, Tiny's still around. Um, what I'm this saying is prior his to Tiny. Predis- yeah, his predecessors. I see. Okay. Yeah. 
Is it tiny? Is that the name of your starter? It is. Yep. And I still have him and he is still working like a madman and um, I have so much of it that I'm giving it away. Yeah, I think this no. is uh, proof, at least anecdotal evidence, that uh, naming a ferment can keep it alive. That's You've true. lost sourdough starters before for many who uh, different reasons, and now you have one that you named and you had not given up on it. That's right. I have a lot of faith in him, and he's been doing a great job. Um, and. Uh, but before him, his predecessors did, I mean, they perished and they died and I had to, you know, sadly wipe away the tears and dump them down the drain or, you know, put them in the trash or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, so I've had that experience. What about you? Any, any starters that you've had to say your adieus to? Yeah, more than I'd like to admit to sometimes, but yeah, I mean, I just have generally over time fermenting many different things. I think that's kind of the, the being a fermentation generalist. It's kind of that thing where I try all kinds of things and sometimes I just literally do not have the time or ability to keep all of them alive long-term. And so I've let them go or given them to someone else. Sadly, generally it's usually the, the first one there of like, it, it's not even necessarily always let go. It's just, it's like kind of make the unconscious decision that it's like, okay, well, I'm just not going to reculture that one. And I don't get it out to someone else beforehand. And it, there have been times when that would have been very beneficial because then I could have just gone to that same person later on when I wanted to start up again. Instead, I have to go search out these things again. Now I have not lost cultures that say I worked very hard for, um, to find like the Vili culture that I, I talk about sometimes the one that the, the mold that grows on top, the, um, Geotrachum candidum and it, that one I hold on to very dearly. And I pass around to as many people as possible because I want that to stay alive. And because it's not commercially available because it's, there's just not the, um, the spread of it or the abundance that it's like, it feels like something I need to keep alive. Where there are plenty of people making kombucha, I've I've lost plenty of scobies over time, uh, and mostly neglect, like mold and different stuff that's gone uh, happened. I mean, um, cheese, which wasn't a starter culture, but I've done, definitely had plenty of mistakes there. But then yogurt starters generally are the ones that I've I've lost. Oh, or uh, kefir, uh, water kefir, almost lost ginger beer plant. There are, but there you are, didn't because, I mean, it sounds like everything that is readily, readily available or you can get from someone else, I don't want to say you neglect them, but maybe in the back of your mind, you're like, well, whatever, this is, if it, if something happens or I can't keep it up, I will find it again because it's readily available. Whereas you hold these really precious, hard to find cultures in under lock and key, safe and sound. Yes. Which, Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like under lock and key as in baby them, like, uh, like t t treat them, treat them very nicely. So like, it'd be nice if I could just lock them up and they'd be safe. 
Um, and, and it seems like, like back to some of the, the white labs or other places that, I mean, like the, there's more potential to freeze cultures or do different forms of suspension. Um, but for me as a home fermenter, I don't have access to any kind of technology that would be able to keep these things alive, let alone who knows if all yogurt cultures could survive the same way that say yeast can in like yeast banks. But, um, I'm sure there are ways of preserving it, but I feel like it's the one thing I can do to keep these things alive. And it does mean taking care of them on a weekly basis. Um, and really, you know, they're, they're pets, pets for life They're I mean, these are the heirlooms that I want to be able to pass on. Um, and, unless, well, I don't know. There's not really an unless there's not really any reason why I could foresee myself not continuing, uh, the few, or even, I think at this point, there's really only just the one that like, I really hold on to. I'm still searching for a few others, but if I ever find those, I'll probably hold on to them the same kind of way because they're difficult to find. And I feel like it's kind of one of those things where there we're in a time where we don't need to ferment most things. I mean, we don't need to preserve these things. We don't need to, to keep these starter cultures alive because some of them are available commercially, or there's enough odd people in the world that are doing these that I can go ask someone else for them. Uh, but in general, it's not like a tradition. It's not like, I mean, these are all things I've had to adopt over time. It's not like a tradition that I've always done and it's just a part of what I do, like brushing my teeth. So I've had to kind of create the traditions myself. And sometimes if I don't create those strong enough or I don't, you know, I haven't actually named any of my starters, but, um, you know, if I don't connect to them in some way, then um, it's a little tough. It's a little easier, I guess, to to let them go. Yeah. Well, how do you connect with your uh, starters? Like how, how would I, I mean, you just said that you, if you don't connect with them in some way, then they kind of go to the wayside. Like, is there something you do like sing them a lullaby or just take care of them, like feed them weekly or, um, put them in a special container, like maybe sanitize the containers they're in better than maybe something else. Or is there a secret that you do? tough love. It's definitely not like sanitizing them to a greater extent or anything like okay. that. Like I, I, I want them to be able to be hardy and, and not be babied in that sense, but like keep them going regularly. But I guess when I'm saying connect, it's like really kind of the things that are beyond, like say any kind of traditional food or, or any kind of food for that matter, be it McDonald's or something um, that's been a, a family heirloom for hundreds of years. Food has a way people like we need it and we connect with it in ways, whether we're consciously thinking about it every day or not. I mean, even just any kind of event like Memorial Day or whatnot, being so much surrounded around food, um, even for a rather somber holiday, uh, it's it's like food is just a part of what we do. And then we do it when we do it with others or we do the same things regularly or consistently from year to year. Like, that's what I mean, like connecting with things on a deeper level, like, say, for someone that's made Vili their entire life. I mean, these people that were bringing Vili over. Uh, on boats dried on handkerchiefs uh, when they when they immigrated from Finland to the United States in the early 1900s or or prior to that. I mean, these are things that people have kept alive because they value them and they they're they're important. Um, more so that they go beyond just the food, and I guess that's what I mean when I say connect. It's like I have to artificially or not artificially, but I have to if I'm going to uh, va- like put value beyond the not instant gratification, but beyond the, like the gratification of just making it and learning how to do something new. Like if it's beyond just the, the absorption of new knowledge and experience, if it's something that like I value keeping alive for the sake of keeping it alive, because 
again, I'm connected with it in some way. Like I have to kind of work to do that since I am interested, uh, again, my number one thing, I'm really interested in just learning new things and uh, fermentation has plenty of new things to learn. And so there's always something new, but I try to also balance that with like the, the traditional side of things of actually keeping these uh, things alive that, that they wouldn't have even been around if other people hadn't done it. So if I'm just so whimsical and, you know, modern society with them and just, just looking for the the newest, greatest thing and dropping other things off. It's like, well, what was, what am I really connecting with then? Like, am I enjoying the food in the same way it could be enjoyed? Does any of that make any sense? Or is that like total mind dribble? No, no, no. It, it makes sense. Um, I think that's, uh, everyone probably has a different reason why they hold on to different things, whether it's ferment, fermentation related or not. Like, um, some people learn how to probably crochet because their grandmother crocheted or, and they want to keep that tradition going and, you know, all of those things. So I don't, I think that there's always some non-food related thing that you can, um, relate to, but, uh, you know, it's really cool that you have this connection with food and fermentation in that same way of like wanting preserve to preserve in, in, in a funny way, preserve the past and, give it to other people and teach them how to um, make fermented foods and keep their tradition going or create new traditions with your family or other people in your neighborhood. Um, but uh, the the history that goes on behind it and how these cultures ended up from Finland all the way here to the U.S. Um, is, I mean, that to me is kind of a really cool thing I've never really thought of before and why um, I should try harder to keep some of my my cultures alive. Yeah, even something like sourdough, like your sourdough that you hadn't kept alive at different points. I mean, you don't really have to keep sourdough starter alive, but it's something that like, unlike, say, vegetables where you don't need a starter at all, the bacteria are just inherently a part of it. I mean, it's just there's no starter to go with. It's more like tradition, like a kimchi tradition, like Kim Jong, uh, a yearly tradition of making kimchi with with others. Um, and even some of that's going to more convenience and not doing it. But it's like there's these these traditions that are sometimes just surrounded around the event of making. So more like cooking or for the fermentation process. But then there are others like a sourdough starter where, you know, modern science kind of just says that like these these starters are going to morph and change where based on where they're at. And are they really the starter that they were before they ended up in someone else's hands. I mean, be, passing them on to other people. Are they really the same thing? Probably not in the same sense as like, say, starter cultures for dairy, which stay pretty strong little ecosystems. And if those ecosystems fall apart, then they're not the same. Um, they're not going to create, they're not going to adapt too much to the environment. Um, because they have a, a large temperature fluctuation. They, there aren't a lot of competing organisms uh, that they can't outcompete. Whereas like something like sourdough, it, it, like there's, there's yeast everywhere uh, and the bacteria that can get in and, you know, alter it slightly. So it's not really something that is like, is it really the same thing or do we just like uh, make it so? And if we make it so, is that the most valuable part about it? It's like that we can say that there's a story behind this, which is like so popular in marketing and everything. It's like, there's a story. There's, there's something behind the sourdough starter, even if it's not tech, like technically really even much of the same thing that it once was. Well, I mean, that's a great point because I mean, we just talked about this with the strange brews, um, New York times article, because that's exactly what they're trying to do. And, um, and go down to the genetic level and the DNA level of seeing, is there a difference between this yeast strain that's used to make this beer versus 
this other beer. Um, how different are they? I mean, they could just be a matter of just changing a few of the genetic code and stuff within the, within the cell. Um, which is a really cool thing. And it, I mean, you just mentioned, you just touched on it right now that, you know, sourdough starter, it could be exactly the same, but it's probably not the same as when we started with it, um, from the very beginning or, you know, things, it changes a slight, just the texture, taste, taste, sourness, all that kind of stuff changes a little bit, um, by keeping on holding on to these starters and, um, feeding them and taking care of them. Um, so it's it's just funny that you just mentioned this and there's this whole article about it that we're going to talk about next week. Yes, just, we're just foreshadowing all over the place um, for next week. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, do you, can you think of anything besides naming a starter culture that, like for people that don't have tradition, I mean, maybe you haven't thought about it much, but but like for people that don't have any food traditions, I mean, fermentation, maybe not any, but like maybe not even any food traditions. Maybe they grew up on um, frozen dinners and, and that's, I guess, a food tradition in a sense. But maybe if someone's not interested in continuing that tradition, they want to reconnect with things or or create new things. Like, do you have any ideas like what gets things to stick? Like, is it just random? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I would think that it has to, it has to be random and it just has to be person specific because you either have a drive to want to bake, um, or cook or ferment foods or can and that sort of thing. Um, you know, same, same as some people having an interest in cars versus some people who can't even stand the thought of like going and getting their oil changed or, that sort of thing. So I think it's just an, it's a person to person type thing. I don't think that you can, um, specifically say, or just say you need to do this to want to keep your starters going. I think it's just like, you want to have that desire and some sort of, everyone probably has a different reason why they want to keep starters and feed them and baby them and keep them to get growing and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. That's a really good question. What do you think? I think about these kind of things a lot in the sense of trying to figure out like, okay, how, what's going to get people interested in fermentation that haven't been before. I mean, there's plenty of people. I kind of live in an insulated world to a certain extent of people that are interested in food, people that are, that are, are connected with food in one form or another, be it fermentation or otherwise it's, um, but what about branching out beyond that? Not because like food is the answer and the only thing that people should be focusing on by no means at all. I mean, I think that there's a lot of value in like, um, you know, like you're talking like working on cars or doing like different things that people do. And, and for me, it's really comes down to like learning and, you know, curiosity and fermentation has plenty of that for me. Food has plenty of that for me in the sense of like the nowness of the tastes, the, the connection to uh, culture and history um, and uh, food as art. I mean, there's so many aspects to food in general that draw me in and that I kind of get the sense that the other people that I talk to a lot of times, that's kind of what draws them is, is one of those aspects or the science aspect of, of all of this, this food geekery that's way more popular. But I still have to think that it's a very small subsection of the population at large that is actually into this kind of stuff. And and that's where I guess I go into this thing about tradition of if there's a way to hook people 
to get people to like create their own traditions. If again, if, if be it food or otherwise that like that are, um, you know, more around, um, celebration and, and curiosity. And, and I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent. I don't, I don't really have answers. I don't really know what makes like these kind of things stick, but I'm always curious about it because, um, because I'm a curious person and, and sometimes, um, you know, I'm just curious as to why I'm curious. I'm curious as to how other people could be curious about, uh, about something. So I'm just, just food curious, I guess. No, I think it's, a, I, I think that everyone who has some sort of food drive is, or a car drive or whatever it is, wants to know more about the topic they're interested in. So um, I think that people, uh, it goes back to, I think that people think it's probably in, in general, think it's really cool. And um, I don't want to say novel, but a really great idea and something they want to do um, in ferment foods and make foods at home. But then there's some people who just don't have any sort of passion or drive to do it at all. So, um, I mean, there, there's one extreme to the other when it comes to food and fermenting foods and keeping starters. I think some people find it really easy to go and buy a starter that you would use once. Um, just more probably, I don't want to say novice fermenters, but, um, just the ease of it and the, the, I don't want, again, also, I don't want to say the lack of knowledge, but probably more the ease and simplicity of fermenting foods just by using a freeze dried packet every time you want to make yogurt, um, and just use that as a quote unquote starter and not save portion of it and use, and, and use that instead of as a starter to keep the ferments going. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, well, and what I think of there is that, you know, there, like when you're comparing, say, yogurt with those direct set starters or the, the one use starters or even in, in beer, like the differences with those. I mean, there's a there's a modern tradition with beer of using um, isolated strains of yeast and and starting fresh every time. I mean, there's there's still a tradition behind that, where something like, say, yogurt, there's really not a tradition besides commercial um efficiency and uh, predictability that that direct set starters make sense in in yogurt so it's like the people that are kind of adopting just the direct set ease is different i think in yogurt versus say something like um like beer brewing so it's it's interesting like you can have differing traditions same kind of basic concept but coming from a much different place like there's there's a lot of like deep modern traditions around beer and uh and those involve different strains. I mean, there's a much vaster, uh, background of, you know, wildly fermented beers and, and alcoholic beverages in general. And that's kind of just like the stuff that I'm interested in. But I think that I'm probably drawn to those more so not because there's not any validity or, or tradition in the modern forms of brewing, but that since some of what draws me to fermented foods in general must be all this background, um, and that I'm interested in, in reconnecting with these things are, that are oftentimes lost because they're just not as convenient. Um, so figuring out, maybe that's just a topic in itself. It's like how to, how to maybe make fermentation more convenient or, or, or trick people into thinking that it's so that it becomes habit. Um, and I think that habit's probably a way that some of these things would become tradition. Um, yeah, I think that if it's a habit to start a fermentation on, say, a Sunday, and that's what you do every Sunday, it's the same as if you were a churchgoer, it's just habit to go to 
to church on Sunday, or you go for a long run on Saturday, whatever these traditions are that the individual creates. Um, or on Wednesdays, they always someone might always go to the same coffee shop and get the same kind of coffee. Um, I think that a lot of things and maybe a reason why people start using cultures and taking care of them more is because it becomes tradition and it becomes a part of their life. And um, the fact of reusing the same thing over and over again. So then a year later, you can say, I've been using the same culture for, you know, over a year. Um Maybe that's kind of how it gets started, and maybe that's the ease of it too. I find fermenting a lot easier if I have, if I start something um, and keep it going and just continually doing it instead of starting and stopping. Because um, once I stop fermenting, then it's kind of, I don't want to say a struggle, but it does take a little bit of like mental power and um, physical brain, physical power for me to just get up and start doing it again. For whatever reason, it's just like a roadblock. Totally. I completely understand that because for years fermenting, it's like I was always interested and I always enjoyed it when I did it. But if I would ever just get out of the habit of doing it, then, you know, I could go months without making a yogurt or different, uh, different things, but I'd always, it always cycle back and I'd always come back to it. But, uh, it wasn't until I started really getting habits that I guess I started creating my own little mini traditions. And I guess I'll just have to see on my deathbed if I actually, um, was able to follow through on those. But I urge everyone to just, I guess, try committing to a starter culture and risk losing it, I guess, as like, uh, is, is kind of my last thoughts on this of just like, I think I'd rather try keeping a lot of starters alive, even if I decide consciously decide as opposed to just unconsciously let things accidentally get lost. You know, I'd like, I'd, I'd rather try a bunch of these different things than, um, you know, miss out on trying them at all because they are definitely, uh, interesting to try, exciting to taste and fun to share. Yeah, I feel the same way too. I think it's really fun um, and exciting to try to keep something alive that you can't see um, with your naked eye and you just kind of hope that everything's okay. But, um, and I think I'm also the, I'm also the type of person that if it doesn't, at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So it's more of the push, like I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this work. Um, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep this alive. Um, that kind of driving ambition keeps me, I don't want to say that I want to lose all of my starters. Um, but I mean, it happens. And when I do, it just, it, it just gives me that drive to be like, well, I mean, that was a loss, but now I have to, now I have to make it work. What did I do to, uh, to, what do I do to keep it alive? What did I do last time that, made it die or I had to do, you know, throw it away or gave away too much or whatever it was. So I guess that's my last parting words on the topic about starters. The objective science and scientist in you speaks. (laughs) Yeah. And just the determination to be like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that, that, that sums up kind of the different things that I've been thinking about at least. And, um, something else again to, uh, hint back to our next episode on uh, beer and jeans um, is that uh, I just noticed that there's, it says there's a podcast of, uh, well, three different topics, but genetics of beer seem to be the last one. It's a 25 minute podcast. Who knows how many minutes are actually on there, but on the New York times website, you will also be able to listen to crowd constructing retinas world science festival, and then the genetics of beer. So oh. it might be worth uh, clicking the play button on the New York times link to the strange brews 
Um, maybe it's related or it could just be one of those side advertisements. I'm assuming it's related though, since that's what this one's about. I see what, I mean, I read the whole article earlier today. Um, and I didn't, I, I saw the, saw the, um, the podcast on the left, but I didn't, it just, I just read the first part where it said, uh, crowd constructing retinas and I just kind of breezed past it and totally missed that. So I'm going to have to listen to it. So we uh, have our homework for next week. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So that will again be in the show notes along with uh, everything else that we mentioned earlier today. And you'll find those at firmup.com slash podcast slash 67. And, uh, you can find us on Twitter at firmup on Facebook at firmup and anywhere else at firmup. And until next time, firm up.